Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of baptism, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcasts. Now, in this broadcast, I would like to address some of the common questions or common issues that arise when people are discussing the subject of baptism. Now, this is a very difficult thing to do, and the reason why it is so difficult to begin to address the common questions that people struggle with when it comes to this subject, the reason why it is so difficult is because the subject is big. This is a big subject. There are many passages in the scriptures that need to be addressed. There are many doctrines that people believe. There are a lot of doctrines that people believe, some of which are based on the scriptures and others are not. There are many doctrines, many teachings that people adhere to that have no foundation, no basis in the scriptures at all. In other words, there is a lot of tradition that I am competing with above and beyond the passages in the scriptures that also need to be addressed. Now, the challenge is, is that because this is so big, it is very difficult to address it all at one time. In fact, it's impossible to address it all at one time. It is too big. And so this is usually how these issues end up. Whenever having a discussion with someone about the subject of baptism, the way this normally ends up is you end up starting dealing with one small part of the big picture. And then you go to the next issue, and then you go to the next issue, and you go to the next issue, and then after a while, the person who you are discussing with goes back to one of the earlier issues that you thought you had resolved with this person, only to discover that you did not. I normally visualize this as a wheel, like a wagon wheel or even a bicycle wheel. These kinds of wheels have spokes. A wagon wheel doesn't have as many spokes as a bicycle wheel does, but These kinds of wheels, there are wheels that have spokes in them. And you can start with one spoke and either fix it or take it out or whatever, but by the time you get around the entire wheel and you come back, by the time you get back, that original spoke that you thought you adjusted or fixed or whatever turns out to be damaged or misaligned or something like that again by the time you get there. And so it's very easy to have arguments that start sounding circular in nature and you start feeling like you're going nowhere when having discussions with people because the subject is so big that people are holding on to many spokes of the wheel. And by the time you deal with all of the spokes, by that time they will have fixed some of them that are either important to them or that they want to hold to regardless of how important they are to the individual. That's how difficult this subject is. And so I need you to bear with me. I need you to stick with me throughout the entire presentation, which is several radio programs, on this subject of baptism because it's that big. Now, another obstacle that I'm going to have in discussing this is that in the earlier programs, I gave a complete historical foundation for baptism. I explained its history, its purpose, 
where it came from. And so if you have not heard those programs and you listen to this one, you're going to be lost. You're not going to be able to keep up with me. And so you need to contact me and ask for the audio CDs for those programs or just go to my radio archive on the Internet at livinggodministries.net and listen to all these programs. And you need to listen to all of them from the first one to the last one because the subject is so big that unless you deal with the whole thing, the whole thing at one time, it's very difficult to kind of jump into the middle of it and expect there to be any positive results that might occur through just listening to one or two programs. It just isn't going to work that way with this type of a subject. Now, in this program, I would like to deal with the aspect of the importance of baptism. In a previous program, I explained the gospel, and in my explanation of the gospel, baptism is not in the gospel. As a review, the gospel has to do with the restoration of the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam. And the baptism that restores the Holy Spirit, which was lost in Adam, is the baptism that Jesus performs on the people who believe and trust in him for who he is and for what he did. That is the gospel. The good news is that our God has solved the original problem between him and humanity, and that was that humanity died. He created us to be alive. We died as a result of the law of sin and death, but he forgave us of the sins, restored to us the spirit of life, and through that we are saved. Assuming, of course, that we believe the gospel and we trust and respond to the one who he had sent. But when it comes to the subject of water baptism, that's not in the gospel. The Lord our God used the subject of water baptism in order to explain the subject of the spiritual baptism that we now receive by the Lord Jesus. But that does not mean that it's in the gospel. It just means that he used that in order to explain the gospel. And I explained this in previous programs. So if it's not necessary for salvation, then why is it important? Now, there are many people who believe that it is necessary for salvation, and my response to that, again, is very simple. My understanding of salvation is not the same as theirs. We believe two different Gospels, and as a result, we may even believe in two different gods. Who knows how far that may go? But if you don't believe in the same Gospel as someone else, you don't have a common foundation to build on. You can be guaranteed concerning that. But for those who recognize that it is not necessary for salvation then there are other things that people will claim in order to hold on to this water baptism that was introduced by the Pharisees and subsequently by John the Baptist in a different context. Why would people want to hang on to this? Well, there are various reasons, and again, it depends on who you ask. And, of course, depending upon who you ask, they may have a whole list of reasons. They may give you reason number one, and somebody else may call that reason number five on their list. There are many similarities that people have concerning the importance of baptism. However, the priorities concerning the reasons are different for different people. So let me just pick one. I'm going to pick the one that is referred to as the first act of obedience. There are many people who believe that baptism is not necessary for salvation, but that it is the first act of obedience. Now, what do you hear when you hear someone say that water baptism is the first act of obedience, especially if you're a new believer, if you're a new Christian, if you just came to know the Lord Jesus for who he is, if you have just turned to him and surrendered to him according to the new covenant, and somebody comes to you and says, hey, this is really good, 
This is wonderful. Now, what you need to do is you need to pursue a life of obedience to God, of course, because you are turning away from your sins, I'm sure, right? And so because of that, you need to exercise your first act of obedience. What are you going to think if you're a new believer? Well, I can tell you what new believers generally think. What they think is, is that if they fail to do this, if they refuse to do this, then they are going to be guilty of committing their first act of disobedience. That's what that means. That's the kind of pressure that people are under. That if they fail to do this after being confronted with this being the first act of obedience, then instead it becomes the first act of disobedience. Now, as a side note, what do you suppose the second act of obedience is? Well, as I've done various surveys concerning this, it turns out to be tithing. Tithing tends to be the second act of obedience that Christian leaders encourage their new disciples to exercise and perform. But that's a different subject, of course. Sticking with the subject of baptism, if this is the first act of obedience, then your failure would be your first act of disobedience. And what happens if you disobey? Then that is sin. That is sin. And, of course, the wages of sin is death. I assume that you were just informed of that, that that was the seriousness of sin. And that is what caused you to turn to the living God for his grace and mercy. But now you are confronted with another sin, which suggests that if you do not do this, then you are going to be guilty of a sin worthy of death, if that's how serious sin is. But don't worry, if you don't want to pursue this, then perhaps people will not be willing to say that you just lost the salvation that you supposedly just got. Instead, they will just look down on you and be concerned and suggest that maybe you were never saved to begin with. This is the kind of pressure that people are under, and I do not agree with it. I do not agree that we live our lives according to obedience. Let me explain this to you in a very simple way. If this is true then there should be a second act, a third act, a fourth act, many acts of obedience that come after that. And how do you define acts of obedience? You define acts of obedience with a list of laws. That's how you define whether someone is being obedient or disobedient. You must have a law in order to require someone to obey it, or in order to suggest that a person should obey it. And what laws are we talking about? Well, in this context, it is a law that comes out of somebody's imagination. It is total, complete fantasy. And the reason why I can say that with deep conviction is because I can go into the law. I can go into the scriptures just like you can, just like anybody else can, and you will never, ever find a law that says that you must be baptized as your first act of obedience, otherwise you are disobeying a law of God. It's not there. And so if it's not there, then it's not there. It is total, absolute fantasy. It is something that has been created in order to get people to be baptized in water, and it is done through this pressure that people are put under as if this was a commandment that God gave. But it is not. And so what is the rest of their law going to look like? Well, some of their laws might be extracted from the Old Testament. Some of them might be extracted from the New Testament. Some of the additional laws might be created out of the imaginations of the leadership of that particular congregation or denomination. Who knows where these laws may come from? But I can guarantee you one thing, and that is that as soon as you start living a life 
under law, then it is going to have the exact same effect on you as the law of Moses would have had on you if you would have pursued a life of obedience, a life of repentance and obedience to the Mosaic law. It wouldn't matter which laws you picked. It wouldn't matter which laws you created. The fact will still remain that no matter what laws you create or list or conjure out of your own creativity, regardless of that, you're still not going to be able to live in complete obedience to those laws. You are not going to be perfect. You are going to sin by definition. You are going to fail to live in obedience to all of the commandments that get issued to you. Unfortunately, there are many people who begin their Christian lives with this, and because of this pursuit, they end up in greater bondage than they had before they were saved. The bondage is very simple. You are expected to live a life that you cannot. That's it. That's the bottom line. And because your God is judging you on the basis of your performance, or at least that's what people believe, because of that, they live in eternal condemnation from the living God, never, ever to be fully accepted by him. Because sure enough, you perform the baptism that people require, you exercise that first act of obedience, and then they hit you with the second one, and the third one, and the fourth one, and before you know it, you do not believe that your God loves you. You do not believe that your God accepts you. And how many laws will it take? It's difficult to say. Sometimes this is better measured in time rather than being measured in laws because a lot of people don't really see that what they are believing or what they are living really is a life under the law. They don't really believe that. In many cases, people argue to no end, suggesting that they don't when in reality they do. So I prefer to measure this in time instead of measuring this in the quantity of commandments that a person is trying to live by. I measure this in time because it usually takes a year or two before a person starts feeling the pressure and wondering if their God loves them at all, wondering if God accepts them at all. And people can go on for 7, 9, 10, 11 years before they finally come to terms with the fact that they are not at peace that they are not at rest. And this is how it's usually described. People come to me all the time and they say the same thing. They say, I feel as though I am further away from the Lord than when I first got saved. And let me tell you something. It's a very depressing thing for an individual to say that after 10 years, after 10 years of being saved, thinking that their 10 years were totally wasted. I, of course, don't believe that. I think that those years can certainly be used in order to demonstrate to them the futility of their attempts to live a life of repentance and obedience. For those of you who have not had the opportunity to live a life of religious bondage like I have or like others have, if you have not had the benefit of experiencing the bondage of living a life that you cannot live, then perhaps you need to do that for a while. It might be a good thing. It might be a good thing to the extent that it will bring you to the point of total absolute despair so that you can turn to the living God for the mercy that he truly has for you. So when it comes to the first act of obedience, that's how I look at it. Another thing that people bring up is the idea of being like Jesus. Don't you want to be like Jesus? Of course you want to be like Jesus. Everybody wants to be like Jesus, right? If you want to be like Jesus, well, Jesus was baptized, and so you should be baptized so that you can be like Jesus. 
People say this in different ways, things like, what would Jesus do? If you can think or imagine what Jesus would do in the situation that you are in, then do whatever he would do, and everything will be perfect if you do that. These are the kinds of things that people are teaching. I totally reject these ideas for various reasons. But in this context, I would like to refer to the notion of baptism in the context of Jesus. I'll do that. If you want to be baptized because Jesus was baptized so that you can be like him, think about that for just a moment. The reason why Jesus was baptized was first and foremost so that John the Baptist would be the first person to testify that Jesus is the Messiah. So let's take a close look at that one for just a moment. Are you going to be baptized? Because perhaps you might be a candidate to be a Messiah also. Maybe Jesus is not the only Messiah. Maybe you, maybe you are a potential Messiah. Or you are the reincarnation or something of a Messiah. Reincarnation of Jesus. Who knows what people are thinking. But to suggest that you're going to do it because that's what Jesus did, you got to consider why Jesus did it. Not just the fact that he did it, but why? Why? There is a why. And it's okay to ask why. And it's okay to consider why. It's very important to deal with why questions. It's very important. Jesus was baptized so that he could be identified as the Messiah. He was also baptized so that people would look at him and have no regard for his life previously. Because according to Pharisaical theology, because Jesus was baptized, he would have a fresh start. He would be recommitted to a life of repentance and obedience to the Mosaic law. So from the people's point of view, that was the importance of baptism. So if you don't want to be a candidate to be a Messiah, then maybe we could look at it in that way. You can be like Jesus in the sense that nobody will have any regard for your previous life up to that point. Well, if that's the case, then how are you going to do for the next year or two? How are you going to do for the next ten years? What happens if you sin then? The Lord Jesus never sinned. He never sinned after that. But if you do, then you're going to be in trouble you're going to have some serious problems, aren't you? Because how are you going to be resaved? How are you going to be rededicated? Well, what do people do? They get baptized again and again. They rededicate themselves again and again, only to come to the point of eventually recognizing the truth that it doesn't do anything to change their hearts, and they end up sinning the same, and so eventually you just have to stop and say, you know what, I've done this a dozen times, I think that's enough, I'm just going to stick with what I've got and not bother trying to continue to do this for the rest of my life, not knowing if I'm ever going to be accepted by God at all. That's eventually what people do, and it's perfectly understandable. So if you don't want to be like Jesus, how about something a little bit easier? How about so that you can be like the disciples? How about that one? The disciples were baptized, so you can be baptized also. But according to the history of baptism, when the disciples were baptized, what did that mean to the disciples? I explained this in previous programs. What that meant was that they were going to recommit their lives to the law of Moses. That's what that meant. That was the baptism of repentance. It was repenting from their sins and then live a life of obedience to the Mosaic law. Now, in a modern Christian context, that is what people believe. In a modern Christian context, people are baptized, they commit themselves to living a life of obedience, not necessarily to the Mosaic Law, in general to the laws that the church issues, or that the people around them suggest that a person needs to obey in order to be right with God, 
or they can go to the law of Moses and extract whatever laws they find easier to obey. My point is, though, is that the disciples did this as a way of recommitting their lives to Judaism. If you were baptized at the time that the disciples were baptized, everyone around you back then would have seen you as a person who was dedicating their lives to Moses, the Mosaic law, to a life of repentance and obedience to the commandments of God as were given through Moses. All of them. What people are creating today is not in the scriptures. What people are creating today concerning this to try to emulate this or to try to do something that's similar to what they did back then What people are doing now has nothing to do with what happened back then. So if you want to be like the disciples, then you got to be like the disciples, not like the Christians today. you got to be like the Jews back then. And people are not doing that, which I understand, and I would not want to encourage you to do that either, because if you did that, it would lead you to the point of utter, total despair and the sense and the recognition that you were fully rejected by your God, which perhaps some people do need in order to come to the end of themselves and turn to him for what he has done for them, rather than what they think they are now going to do for him, or how they are going to impress him with their obedience or how they're going to get the sin out of their life. That's a another subject entirely, of course. I certainly don't want to give the impression indirectly that I'm encouraging people to pursue a life of sin. When it comes to that subject, I did programs on this subject entitled Overcoming Sin. You can download those for free off my radio archive. You can ask for CDs. I deal with that subject in a different series. I'm not going to address it here. All I want to say is, is that if you want to be like Jesus, you're not going to be like Jesus. If you want to be like the disciples, you're not going to be like the disciples either. Jesus was baptized for a different reason than why people are being baptized today. The disciples were baptized for a different reason than why people are being baptized today. You've got to have the same reason for doing it, but even if you do that, you're still going to be led to the point of absolute despair. You're going to be led to destruction. You're going to be led to the point where you realize you have no hope outside of the mercy of God, which is where you're supposed to be right now. You're supposed to already be there. That's how you get saved. That's the gospel. The good news is that once you recognize you have a need for grace and mercy, then you can be the recipient of his grace and mercy that he's offering already. Why go through all that? Why go back to all that? Why put yourself back under all that oppression when he has called you to something greater? He has called you to live on the basis of what he's done. He has given to you all that you need for life and godliness as a free gift. We are to live out of the abundance of what we now have, not out of the abundance of what we think we might get. If you're looking for something that he has not already given, I guarantee you, you're not going to get it because he's not going to deliver anything more than he's already given if he's given you everything you need for life and godliness. That's it. This is it. And it's more than enough. Make no mistake. What other reasons do people have for being baptized? Well, here's a good one. To testify of your commitment. To testify of your dedication. You know, I think that this can be a good reason. If somebody came to me and said, you know, Aaron, I would just like to testify of the commitment that I have made. If somebody came to me with an attitude like that, I would probably encourage that. I would probably baptize them if they asked me to. I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. I don't have a problem with baptizing people. I don't have an issue with that, assuming that people are doing it for the right reasons. And those reasons have to be outside of some of the common reasons that people are presenting now. 
that are totally contrary to what we understand about the truth of the new covenant. That I will not accept. I will not accept or endorse or participate in an action that is in direct contradiction to what we know about the truth of what the living God has already done for us. That I would have an issue with. But when it comes to just simply testifying of your faith, I can appreciate that. I can understand that. Unfortunately, this tends to be expanded a little bit wider than perhaps it ought to be. Not only has it become a means of testifying, but it has become a means of gaining approval. And when it becomes an issue of gaining approval, that I personally take issue with, because I sincerely believe that we are approved of because of what Jesus has done for us already. And for us to do something in order to gain the approval of somebody else, to me, is a form of idolatry, and I would not want to encourage that. We have a deep need within us to be accepted. We have a deep need. Our God created us to have this need. There's nothing wrong with a desire to be accepted by others. There's nothing wrong with having a desire to be accepted at all. We have this desire because our God created us to have this desire. The challenge for a new believer, however, is discovering that our God created us in such a way that only he can meet this deep need that we have within our hearts. He is the only one who can meet the need, the desire that we have for acceptance. He has reserved this for himself, and he's not going to share that with anyone else. No one else is going to be able to meet the need that you have to be accepted, to be approved of. It's not going to happen. He is not going to allow for that. But there are many people who are baptized because of this, because they want to be accepted within the church. On the other side of this issue, there are people in the church who want people to be baptized for a different reason. They are using the power of acceptance and approval to get people to be baptized. However, their desire is not so that they can have a legitimate cause or a legitimate reason to accept people. They have other reasons in mind that have to do with the issues related to the performance of the church as a whole or the performance of the leadership of the church. And I will explain this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net